today's episode, we are joined to discover and talk about a brand that is up and coming in the men's personal care space and how they're implementing influencers. If you are in the space, you probably know how difficult it is because you don't have a female customer, how hard it is to find male creators, male influencers to actually see product, work with male creators. They're just a limited pool. Um, but today's guest has actually found an effective way to work with them. Um, there's a lot of synergies between what Kinship preaches and what they're doing. Um, so it was a fun episode. He has a line item in his PL called Make Friends. And it is literally entirely into uh, dedicating around influencer marketing. Um, so it's a fascinating episode. I'm excited for you guys to listen in and let's do it. I missed you. <laughs> That's how we'll start the episode. Taylor misses me and we're back with another episode. I miss Taylor as well. What's up, Matt? Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Excited to chat. All right. Why don't you give us a, I think you have an interesting background more than many other people that we bring on the show. So why don't you give us a little bit of a preview or 30 second pitch on your um, professional background and what led you to before starting Huron? Yeah, quick kind of baseball card stats. Um, after college, I lived in New York. I was in, in investment banking. I was an analyst. Uh, it was also 2008, so it was a really interesting time to be on Wall Street. Um, mm. Did that for a bit. Ended up leaving pretty early in my analyst career to join Bonobos. So it was one of the first six hires at Bonobos. Did mm. that for a number of years, um, which was super interesting. Kind of got early exposure to what was the D2C space, kind of D2C coined many years later, um, but kind of early e-commerce consumer retail space. Did that for about two years, ended up moving to Chicago, got back into banking, oddly enough, um, and then worked for a consumer private equity firm. Uh, did that for three years, kind of investing uh, in early stage CPG, e-commerce businesses, apparel companies, food and bev, juvenile products, so kind of covered the gambit. Um, then went back to business school and then launched Huron. And I think for me, kind of the the commonalities in my background, like why personal care made sense. One, when I worked in private equity, I spent a lot of time looking at traditional cosmetics companies, like beauty companies, typically targeting the female consumer. And I was like, this space is amazing, incredible brand loyalty, um, really cool packaging, really cool founder, really cool founder stories. And I'm a mid twenties something walking into Walgreens to either buy Old Spice or Dove for men. Right. So I just thought yeah. the disconnect between the categories was huge. And then secondarily, I was just the kid that grew up with bad skin. So tried everything under the sun, nothing worked. Did Accutane twice, so it's horrible. Um, finally found something that worked. It was exorbitantly overpriced. Finally found and you know, found something that worked, but was that product. So thought was, could you kind of marry these two very disparate worlds of super clean, efficacious, technological driven ingredients coupled with the audience that's like just trying to figure it out or quite frankly doesn't even know where to start so that was kind of like the the early thesis or narrative behind here on just a question off the cuff when you're seeing all these different cosmetics brands if you're spending a lot of time obviously you're seeing a lot of cosmetics brands that are probably investing in influence marketing i don't know the time frame that you were there um with 2013 2015 so yeah so on the early onset of like the social media rise as well so what sort of insights did that give you um seeing a lot of brands invest in influence marketing or just maybe on the cusp of investing in a heavy way 
Yeah, well, I'd even say influencer marketing plus just digital marketing, right? Like this is kind of the heyday of the paid Facebook world. And I think, you know, if you look at brands through the vacuum of today's lens and landscape, it's like, while well, Facebook packs are rising and it's getting more, you know, it's getting more difficult. Back then it was like the wild west and everything worked. So when you look at the cohort of brands that exited in like the 2012, 2015, 2016, 2017 time period, like you might've been riding a wave where you were paying $4 to acquire a customer. Like that doesn't exist today. So I think now it requires way less of just knob and dial turning, quite frankly, and more strategic thought around how do we market here on, how do we get to the right audience versus just simply feeding the beast of meta properties. Um, so I think it requires a little bit more thoughtfulness um, and understanding who your consumer is versus just, hey, if I put in $4, I get 40 back. Uh, you know, I can make this work for a really, really long time. I also saw that you're, you had a quick internship at Nike. What was that yeah, like? It was in business school. Yeah. Quickly realized okay. I was not a, a big co-consumer guy. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, well, I know, like, I think Taylor and I have had several conversations with you over the Twitter sphere. Um, I know you, we had a back and forth about how you were investing in a, a certain platform CRM. I, I'll leave them unnamed um, for lack of uh, your, <laughs> you weren't a, a big fan, let's just say. So obviously, you've been investing in influence marketing to some degree. Has that channel, was that channel always something that was like on the forefront when you were starting? Uh, it really has been. And I think from a pure awareness play perspective, uh, it makes a lot of sense for brands like Huron where people are looking towards trusted sources to help them sift through the noise, quite frankly, and find and discover brands that are really working for them or resonating for them. And I certainly think one of the... Um, the angles that you guys have done such a great job of kind of trailblazing is like immediately removing that transactional sense from day one, right? Like sometimes these conversations are like, send us your rate card. I won't do X unless it's Y plus Z. Whereas our approach has always been before we even talk, let's send you product. Because if you don't like the product, this is not even a conversation worth having. And once you do that and kind of let the product speak for itself, it just completely changes the dynamic of the conversation, which is, hey, I really like this stuff. And I really like what your team is building. Like, how can I help? And then there's certainly some middle ground to be had. And I think your approach and you guys are, are very vocal and quite frankly, open and transparent about how you build kinship and kind of the, the tactical strategies to get there. I think you guys have done a fantastic job of kind of etching that path for a lot of brands um, and clearly have had success. So I think there's a lot of similarities in approach. Um, and I think what that ultimately does from a brand's perspective is it allows you to put content into the wild that feels very within brand guidelines and it feels very organic versus like, you know, and here I'm, I'm here to talk about like Huron, like people can see right through that. A few, a few years ago, that um, might have worked well, quite frankly. Um, yeah. But now it's like, you know, the thumb scrolls go faster sometimes when you see some of these actresses like, right, what's this person pushing today? So I think yeah. we can really eliminate that transactional sense from the content, from the conversation in totality, uh, obviously, the better the output. Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm just curious. Um, so it sounds like you're doing seeding every month, which is awesome. And that's just the initial step, getting product in their hands. 
from what we see, we see a lot of posts go live from those people, regardless of the expectation being set that you want that. Uh, are you seeing the same thing on your end as well? And then from there, what are kind of the next steps? You know, do you see posts go live, even though you're not asking for it? And then as a next step from the people that do post or who don't post, what are some of the next steps that you take with these individuals? Yeah, good question. Um, we do see a decent chunk of uh, folks that we send to end up posting. Um, our category is a bit tough, right? It's like, it's not me like, hey, I'm in the shower and like this shampoo's sick. Like you kind of, uh, might get into some into some uh, sketchy grounds uh, with some of the content that could be created. But I mean, we'll get like a lot of story posts or unboxing or things like that, which is fantastic. I certainly think an area of opportunity for us is like, and like, and what, or like, and then, um, you know, based mm. on what is the quality of like the, uh, you know, the, the, the unrequested content, let's call it. And if that's of, of ilk, like, do we go back and say, Hey, this is fantastic. Like, would you be interested in doing some sort of like testimonial or would you be interesting, uh, in, give, in giving very honest feedback in kind of a one-to-one -one type format? I think that's an area for us that we can certainly supercharge. Um, but right now we're just trying to get basically as much product in the wild as possible. Most important part. I love it. So. What are the what are the difficulties you run into having a male product? Today's Power Minute is brought to you by Mighty Scout, an influencer tracking tool. So you've probably heard Taylor and I talk about Mighty Scout at length in past episodes, but today we want to take special time to speak to it specifically. So if you are investing in any sort of influencer marketing to a degree, I highly suggest getting on Mighty Scout. First of all, it's going to track all of your organic posting that goes out. So if you're doing seeding, pay for posts, you can drop in all your influencers by campaign. And then once those influencers are in those campaigns, they're going to immediately start being tracked if and when they mention you by handle or any hashtags that you give it. So it's going to give and pull all that content, most importantly, so that you can know who posted, you can reach out for content rights, etc. Also, it's going to give you all the reporting and ROI on those things as far as metrics wise. So you're going to be able to know the vanity metrics that go out around those, those um, influencer posts. You're going to know everything that it goes into around influencer marketing uh, in regards to Mighty Scout. So if you haven't checked them out, highly, highly suggest them. Go to MightyScout.com to find out more. Good question. I think given the audience in general, our audience is, is largely guys. Um, yeah. It's, it's difficult because oftentimes the customer and the consumer are two different people. Whereas I think in traditional kind of beauty and personal care, the female consumer is oftentimes buying for the household or buying for the partner or buying for whomever. So the messaging really has to resonate with the customer and the consumer. I think the, the female buyer tends to be a little bit more skeptical, but also a little bit more willing to buy and transact. Whereas I think guys are a little bit more like discovery, like, oh, that seems cool. Like maybe I'll come back to it. But yeah. We also have like on average a 0.03% attention span. Um, so yeah. often, like, I completely forgot the name of the brand already. Uh, yeah. Whereas I think uh, maybe she's a little bit more equipped to, uh, you know, make a purchase and, and be more excited about it. Or, you know, For sure. Well, we've just seen, you know, male dominated brands are just a lot more difficult just because the, the pool of influencers that are posting content compared to females is just significantly less. And traditionally it's been a lot of fashion influencers. And I think the rise, and I'd be curious to actually ask you like the rise of men's personal care, 
um, with number of brands like yourself, you know, where it's, it's specifically targeted to males and skincare. Has that increased the pool for you where it's made it a little bit easier compared to even a year or two, three years ago? Absolutely. Um, and I think the approach we've always tried to take is like, we can and should have a very diverse and broad audience. So if we're just hammering home, like one specific niche, like fitness, let's call it, we can probably reel off the five fitness influencers who seemingly work with every single brand, right? Like it's not a huge universe. Yeah. So for us, it's like, who's an up and coming chef or is there a really, like we launched SPF the weekend. And I think we seeded to three of like the largest New York city dog walkers. Like we're like, Oh, this is kind of like interesting. And like randomly these people had pretty big audiences. Um, but yeah. point being like, you know, just because you, you do CrossFit doesn't mean necessarily you're like the best SPF model for us. So like we, mm -hmm. we can find other ways to kind of help bring the product to life with an interesting angle towards creators versus just feeling like we're kind of paying the piper with, with the same three to five to 10 people that seemingly show up on this feed. Mm. And then on just in addition to that, you said seating in your program, it's kind of like that's what you're doing at mass scale. And then that next step is where you could, you know, use a little bit extra uh, focus and emphasis towards. Uh, we did, Cody and I did see that you have an affiliate program. Does your seeding program lend itself and transition into your affiliate program at all? Or what is really feeding that? And, you know, tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, good question. Um, it does not today. That's certainly probably an area of opportunity for us. Uh, the way that kind of like our affiliate model works is kind of more of the historical nature of that world where it's commerce editors and whatnot from random publications like articles, listicles, inclusion, awards, things like that. But we haven't kind of married those two worlds. Uh, With social media influencers per se. Exactly. Exactly. The other thing that's a little bit difficult, I think, with our category, just given the slightly lower price points, um, unless you really want to kind of get aggressive on the affiliate model, like you have to make it interesting and compelling for the creators, right? So if we're giving you 20% of the $16 body wash, you're probably not going to be super motivated to go make $3.20, right? So it's like, what, right. what is what is a model that seemingly scales for us that might be more advantageous than, you know, running ads on, on Meta, but conversely is also attractive to the creator, whether that's a flat CPA model or whatnot. So we've kind of kicked the tires sure. a few ideas internally, but just have yet to kind of put something into, into play. A lot of low hanging fruit there um, to, to sweep yeah. up for sure. Uh, but we have seen content in your ad account uh, from creators. So maybe not following up with them to onboard them to an affiliate program, but are you following up with them for usage rights? And then once you get that content, are you repurposing on the ad account? And how is that working for you guys? Yeah, I mean, once we find uh, a creator, a piece of content that seemingly sticks so that we feel like is very much in line with what the brand is a good representation of the brand and the products, then we'll go back to the creator and kind of discuss like, hey, what would it be to run this on, on paid property? Sometimes people are totally fine just giving us the rights to it, which is fantastic. Um, but regardless of the case, if we're kind of negotiating, um, you know, a set term or, you know, we have a carte blanche to run, run the asset, that kind of is only the starting point of our relationship. Typically, we then will send that that creator maybe like 
a quarterly package, certainly every new release product, nice. just so that, again, we're, we're continuing to cultivate that relationship and it's not a one and done type engagement because who knows when we can potentially go back to the well or, you know, you create, uh, Taylor, a really good uh, piece of content for shampoo and then we launch FPF and then, you know, we include you on that first send list and then you create an absolute banger of a, of a I would. piece of content I would. For, for FPF yep. and then you move from there. So. I'd give you a fire piece of shower content. You'll see, <laughs> proceed me. Um, but how, how do you see it performing in the ad account though? Are you seeing a major difference? Are you seeing the UGC or uh, the IGC coming from influencer generated content coming from these efforts perform well in comparison to studio shoot assets? What are you seeing within the ad account itself with this specific type of content? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's probably uh, our top performing piece of content is kind of that in the wild with real people mm. um, using the products, talking about the products. Keyword. Then I would say, what's that? It's a keyword, real people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Weird, right? Um, it's like, here. Um, and then for whatever reason, like sometimes compelling statics will perform really, really well for us just because the CPMs mm. are so much lower and you start from a much more advantageous starting point. Uh, the studio stuff, I think for most brands is kind of gone. Like no one really wants to see a body wash bottle on like a stone block against like a light blue background. Like that's not captivating or compelling to anyone. We'd rather have someone who looks like our audience talking about the products and, and why they swear by them. But what, just piggybacking off this a little bit, what have you seen perform better? I mean, a, a human in a studio with a very well-positioned backdrop, you know, posing with the product or like it's at home, lo-fi ad, yeah, you know, very totally natural, well, organic, yeah. the totally latter. Well, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And sure. I think that's been the way for, for a number of months, if not years for us. Today's Power Minute is brought to you by Social Snowball, an affiliate platform for e-com that is focused on enabling affiliate partnerships for what I like to call the modern affiliates. So not the traditional affiliates, publishers, blogs, etc. This is the modern affiliates such as creators, ambassadors, influencers, customers, etc. So there's many things I love about Social Snowball. One of the first things that comes to mind is they eliminate all code leaks. So if your codes that have gone out to influencers or affiliates have ended up on coupon sites, Social Snowball would eliminate this. Also, it's very important to have a tiered based system to motivate your affiliates to continue to post and generate revenue for you. So they make that super seamless, make it super easy on the affiliate to get paid out when any which way that they like. So Venmo, PayPal, uh, directly to their bank on a Visa gift card, Amazon gift card, all that, et cetera. If you guys haven't checked them out, they're on the Shopify app store. Go check them out today you're missing out. Um, they are clearly the best and our number one recommendation for affiliate marketing. Yeah. Let's take a step back here. What, what percentage of your revenue are you spending on marketing and then breaking that down of your marketing into influencer? And I'll have a follow-up question on that. Yeah. I mean, traditionally the way we kind of think about budgeting is, is we have a loose budget that we set on a quarterly basis and then broken down monthly, obviously. And then we just sprint towards an MER target. And if we're mm -hmm. pacing north of that, north of that metric, we can spend. And if we're pacing a little bit south, we'll, we'll think about how we want to kind of redirect some of that spend and maybe leveraging or repurposing or reallocating underperforming uh, budget into more cost-effective channels. So 
you know, all to say is like we kind of have like the marble of the budget, and then we kind of etch away at it as as the month progresses. Um, that's a very roundabout answer. I mean, I think for us, like if we're somewhere between like twenty eight and thirty five percent of revenue on a monthly basis, given that growth stage company, like we feel comfortable about that. Yeah, and then what's inclusive of your influencer marketing? like that you spend, like, of course it's, it's, you're doing seating. So it's your cost of goods, yeah. it's your shipping, it's, it's commissions. I guess you're not really doing much on the affiliate side, but upfront payment structures for certain influencers or creators, what all, all goes into that software. Yeah. Um, we call it making friends. That's our, that's our PNL line item is just making friends. Um, I love it. And that, that budget is anywhere from like five to 10 grand. Uh, a month that we set quarterly. Um, so that's kind of the parameter that we're working within now. Um, but again, like we, we don't have to negotiate rates that frequently. Um, yeah. Because we're, again, we're kind of like reimagining that conversation up front around getting product to this person first. Uh, we're having a very frank conversation. Hey, we'd love to test something. Like, are you cool if we run this for 30 days, for 60 days? So we're being very open and honest around the duration of the content. Um, and then if it works, then we kind of go from there. If not, we kind of pivot and, and leverage other creative. But we've been very lucky in the sense that we haven't had to negotiate huge deals to run content, nor is that really kind of the, the target creator we're going after, per se. Um, yeah. I think what's kind of like, the five to 25,000 followers, maybe 50,000 um, is like mm -hmm. really a sweet spot for us where folks are just usually pretty pumped to get a bunch of free stuff. Um, and that works out mm -hmm. really, really well for us in our category, given the cost of goods isn't incredible. One question that I was just thinking of was um, when you go to these certain number of influencers or what have you seen? Like there's, there's obviously metrics that people analyze in terms of, okay, content generated, you know, for us, it's like a lot of content generated, po organic posts going live content into that account. And then you have all your Facebook ad account, things that matter of CPA and purchases and all that stuff. What other things are you seeing on your side? Even when you have these conversations, you're fundraising right now, you're raising around like these investment bankers that want to say, you know, ask about, Hey, what's your influence marketing? And are they very ROI driven? Like, tell me the numbers. Because there's obviously a halo effect that happens around brands when you're investing, um, to which I'm sure you'd agree with. So what other metrics are you seeing like on your end where it's like you see a lift in traffic or lift in branded search or just organic revenue? Um, what are some of the things that you're looking at on that side? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I think what this all kind of distills down into is like, how do you tactically measure the efficacy of your influencer efforts? And it's very difficult to. Um, and I wish I had like uh, the perfect answer, but you know, for us, given we're such a small team and we're only, we're only four. Um, yeah. So as we think about uh, which metrics to look at and to assess, it's equally as dangerous to have too few metrics as too many. Um, so for, for us, sure. like in and around the marketing landscape, like NER is a target for us, like is really, really important because that measures across channel, but that also aligns with how people shop, right? Like you might see an influencer, a, a, a piece of content from an influencer about Huron, Google Huron, be like, oh shit, they're on Amazon. Like go to Amazon, mm -hmm. be like, oh quick, okay, cool. Like they're on Amazon. Then all of a sudden you get swallowed up in like retargeting funnel and then you buy on D2C, 
right? I mean, there's just an infinite number of touch points and pathways that a customer can go from unaware to aware to converted and somewhere between zero and 28 days. So without like over convoluting the metric system or how we measure, think about the efficacy, we really try and think about, okay, that like brand friends light item is a wash. Like we expect nothing from an ROI perspective there, but what that ultimately helps mm -hmm. us do is feed the top of the funnel for how we measure efficacy on paid channels with net new content to help achieve that, you know, three to four X MER target that we have. So again, it's, it's not exactly a, a linear response, um, but hopefully it gives you a little bit more insight into how we're thinking kind of about the thought process internally. I'm just curious on that front. How do you, how and why do you think you got to this place within your mind when you mentally think about this? This line is just a wash. This, this is not going anywhere. This is happening regardless. This is going to be a part of our budget. We know it's going, it's having this impact, and we need to have it. I'll be honest. You are unique um, within, sure. I would say, you know, brands in the D2C space that are honestly, all the way up to below a hundred million in annual revenue, uh, where it's very ROI driven. And honestly, influencer marketing seems to be like the first thing that goes in comparison to like, this is the, this thing is inevitably going to be a line item and we know it's having its impact. How do you think mentally you got to that place? Uh, two things. One, I mean, there's not, you know, again, like our range of spend is relatively small. I mean, if I think if that were 50, 100, 200K a month that we were earmarking for sends or contract negotiations or rates, then we would have to attach some sort of measurables to the exercise. Otherwise, it would be, you know, uh, you'd be uh, <laughs> not a great steward of capital, let's call it. Um, so I think for us, it's, it's still relatively small as we kind of figure out what the right path forward is. But like here, here's a perfect example of making friends that like then lead to something that's like very difficult to track. And it's quite frankly, like a, an outlier type outcome. So we have a brand friend, this guy, Ken Rideout, which I don't know if you guys know, like uh, he's amazing. He's like an insane marathon runner. He's like won a bunch of world championships. He's an amazing backstory. He does a lot of work with Olipop. Um, we got to know Ken. We've been sending him products for a year and a half, maybe. And he does story posts and it's great. But like, we don't ask a ton for him because his rates and he command a ton, which we're respectful of, but we're very appreciative of when he does post on our behalf. Um, we sent him our fragrance when we launched. We sent him both scents like, hey, we just launched this. Like, we certainly wanted to get you some. He posted it and then tagged Jersey Jared from Barstool, who does fragrance reviews, Jerry Fragrance. Um, and in the span of like 10 minutes, Ken posted something, tagged Jerry. We, we reposted that story. And then Jersey Jerry DM'd us. He's like, I'm down. Um, just here's my address. And he was super cool about it. Sent him stuff. He did like a seven minute long Twitter review that ended up getting like, I think over 2 million views. Um, and it like Shopify just went nuts. It was like a Sunday night at like 10 PM. And I was like, what is happening? I like shot up out of bed. I was like, I gotta, I gotta figure out what's going on. Um, and a few weeks later, like we hit up Jersey Jerry about like, Hey, it'd be awesome if we could use some of the clips from the content. He's like, yeah, all good. Um, so like that, that's an Come incredible on. outcome, obviously, but yeah. how would you, how would you ever thinking about, think about ascribing a price tag to the efforts you put on sending Ken Pro, right? So it, mm -hmm. it, it's very difficult to measure that. And I think that's 
a culmination of just, again, getting products into the wild and then just taking a very, hopefully likable, down to earth, friendly approach of just like not asking for anything, just like really support what you're doing and wanting to get you some products. We'd love to hear if you have any feedback. Um, and then that just kind of built up and, and obviously grows and scales over time. And then you get, you know, a, a unique outcome like that. But, but that's an example of like, it's really hard to tie that back to what an invested cost would be. It's not that unique though. Uh, it's not as unique. And I love it, Cody. We're just stacking up these stories now. I mean, with Animal House Fitness, seating knees over toes guy, and then Joe Rogan sees it. And now Joe Rogan's talked about it for free four times on his podcast. Granted usage rights to his content for our ad account free of cost. Cody's experience at Kalo, LeBron James. Uh, yeah, it's it's cool to hear yeah. another one of these another one of these stories. The word that kills most stories like that, impatience. Brands are just too impatient. And so that when they reach out to Ken or Ken features them, they get lost in the salsa follower account and say, you know, can I, you know, like ask for the world in return or just see them product and ask for the world in return and just those relationships die. And that, that story that you just shared never happens yep. um, exactly. because they're just too impatient because it's the ROI conversation and stuff like that. Not to say that, of course you need measurement. Um, you're, you're measuring it on, on your side as well. So thanks for sharing that, man. That's awesome. And that, that, hopefully that's encouraging to the audience out there. Um, what would be last question here before you got to go uh, wrangle the cats is uh, <laughs> what would be your advice to brands um, wanting to leverage influencer marketing? If there's one to two nuggets that you'd want to leave listeners with. I think the very, like the one is just start. Right. I feel like many things within the marketing sphere, there's like a hesitation to like, I have to craft the perfect narrative. I have to assemble the best bundle. I have to reach out to the perfect influencer. Um, but there's no reason why you can't have a goal of sending three to five packages out a week just to get started. Um, and that's kind of like what I used to do when we first started, which is like before I go home every night, I'm sending out a box. And like that, that's like basically how we started. I love um, that. So starting small. Um, and then secondly, and again, kind of adopting a lot of the playbooks that you guys have, have put into the ether and, and we've kind of adhered to the same, which is just thinking about rewriting the script away from like pure play transactional ROI measured efforts to we just want to get product into the wild and we think you're, you know, what you're doing as a creator, the journey you're on, whatever the language is. It's awesome and we're super supportive of that. And we'd love to get you some apps for you to try out. And so long as your product lends itself to that, I mean, it's probably difficult for the hex plaids of the world to send out a ton of pans uh, every day because they're super heavy to ship and probably super expensive. But for us, we can do that. Um, you know, it's, it's just about getting product into the wild. So we try to do that uh, as often and with as consistent cadence as possible. Love that. Get product into the wild. The terminology. Well, we'll give you credit though. With how with how aligned we are with Matt today, it's, people might be wondering if we paid this guy to come on today. <laughs> yeah, seriously. He's our head of sales, everybody. Um, <laughs> Matt, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, where can people interact with you if they want to talk to you further? Yeah, uh, Twitter is probably the best place. Just at Matt Molinax. Pretty easy. Um, yeah, and look, I... I've been a beneficiary of so many 
people lending me 15 minutes here or a quick conversation there, quick coffee. And I'm a firm believer that we're all kind of in the same sandbox. We just have different shovels and buckets. Um, so the, you know, however helpful I can be, definitely reach out. Uh, try and find the time to connect. Thanks for joining us, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks, man. All right, that's all for today. If you'd like some help developing your influence marketing campaign, go ahead and DM us on Twitter. Links are in the description. Or you can head to kinship.co to learn more and you can book a call there. That's K-Y-N-S-H-I-P dot C-O. At kinship.co, you also find tools, templates, and resources all designed to help you grow an influencer campaign that drives visibility and sales, not just likes. Thanks for tuning in as always, and we'll see you next week.